Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Well, you know, I think that we have seen in the course of human history many instances in which man has gone against what we know to be the God's morality. Uh, I don't think it's difficult for us to find many examples of that. I know, for instance, uh, in medicine, uh, way back thousands of years ago, uh, in the in the Greek society, uh, Socrates and Plato believed that you know life did not really begin until uh, five weeks after birth, and that it was okay to kill infants who didn't fit in with the plan. And that if you were a little too old, you could not get palliative care. And it took uh, Hippocrates to come and say, no, this is not right. That life is divine, it is God-given, and it is the duty of a physician uh, to care for people from, in those days, from birth until death, equally. And so we have the Hippocratic Oath that we all uh, practice medicine under, and it really held true for for centuries and centuries. And to me, one of the the worst times for medicine was during the Nazi era in Germany when doctors completely ignored morality to torture, experiment on, and murder human beings. Uh, And that was all at the behest of an immoral government. Yes. And that's what happens. Man rebels against God. They throw off his rule. And then they find out, yeah, the status rule is worse. <laughs> the totalitarian's rule is worse. Or the Islamist rule is worse. They don't want his rule. And they throw it off. And they end up finding themselves in a worse condition. It's like one man once said, you know, if man will not be governed by God, then he'll be ruled by tyrants. And we can see that within our culture today, um, because um, just look at the federal law books, how many shelves it takes to fill up. They have invaded every aspect and inch of our lives. They have become a behemoth that is unrestrained, has long left its constitutional confines, as established by our founders, and as you mentioned at the beginning of this show. And so it's time for people... A, to draw close to the Lord (laughs) and turn from their sin, and B, to restore that which has been messed over by a lawless federal judiciary, a lawless federal government. And there is an awakening going on, Dr. Dan. I do see people waking up. Tyranny has a way of doing that. Um, And God needs to be acknowledged in it all. 
I, I encourage your listeners, if they've never read John of Salisbury's work, Polycraticus, all my sons and daughters, we have 11 children, they all have to read Polycraticus. And in 1159, that work was written. And he was talking about how things were viewed at that time. He wasn't talking political theory. He was talking about how the average view was by men, Western man at that time. He said, all power or authority is from the Lord God. The power which the prince has is therefore from God, for the power of God is never lost nor severed from him, but he merely exercises it through a subordinate hand. They understood that the magistrates had a duty to govern according to God's rule. Not that everything was perfect, because anything man's involved in is never perfect, but that was the understanding, and it was the Again, an objective standard to which men could repair. He said this regarding the lesser magistrates. John Salisbury said, Loyal shoulders should sustain the power of the ruler so long it is, is, it is exercised in subjection to God and follows his ordinances. But if it resists and opposes divine commandments and wishes to make me share in its war against God, then with unrestrained voice I answer back, God must be preferred before any man on earth. So this was the thinking of Western man. It's been lost because of the rebellion of man. He wants to be autonomous. He wants to be. He wants to start with himself and be accountable to no one. And we see what happens when man doesn't want to be accountable to anyone, like what you mentioned with socialist Germany <laughs> under Hitler, and now with what we have here in America. You know, it's a common. The statists often quote Romans 13 to say that, you know, we are supposed to, as men, obey, obey the government. But of course, what they don't want you to understand is that governments that rule contrary to God's word are in themselves tyrannical. So that citizens can disobey a government that sets itself up in the place of God. And that's what our government has done here. And that's what socialist governments have attempted to do for decades they want to be god yeah. instead of god and so uh we know that that is fundamentally and basically immoral uh and wrong absolutely and i address romans 13 in my book i knew i needed to because there are so many within christianity today who teach this idea of unlimited obedience to the civil government and that is a thought totally foreign to scripture and i show from the text itself, Romans 13, that this idea of unlimited obedience to the civil government isn't even found in Romans 13. Rather, men impose it upon the text. They commit what's known as an act of eisegesis. In other words, they read into something that isn't there. Nowhere in that passage are we told that we are to give unlimited obedience to the civil government. There is no verse in the entire Bible that says we're to give the civil government, unlimited obedience. And in reality, it flies in the face of good, sound, biblical hermeneutics, good, sound, biblical interpretation. The hallmark of good biblical hermeneutics is Scripture interprets Scripture. In other words, Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small S. So when you're looking at a particular passage, Scripture with a small S, you have to look at it in light of the whole of God's Word, Scripture with a big S. Scripture with a big S interprets Scripture with a small S. 
And when you look at the whole of God's Word, you see so many places where the people of God did not obey the civil authorities, and God commended them for not obeying. For instance, the Hebrew midwives were told to kill the first, uh, to kill the Hebrew male children. They refused to do it, and the scriptures say God blessed them for that. Um, Daniel wasn't told to do something bad, rather he was told he couldn't do something good. He was told he couldn't pray to the Lord. Well, he actually knelt down in front of an open window. He didn't want anyone to mistake what he was doing. He knelt down. He did it in front of open window so people would be sure to see, and he did it three times to make sure he was caught because his fealty was to the Lord. And so this has been the standard for Christianity down through the ages, that when the state commands that which God forbids, like in the case of the Hebrew midwives, or forbids that which God commands, like in the case of Daniel in prayer, we are to obey God rather than man. And so if Romans 13 is teaching unlimited obedience to civil government, what do you do with all these other passages where the people of God didn't obey, and God commends them and blesses them for it? In fact, Paul, who penned Romans 13, talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 how the governor wanted to have him arrested, and rather than submit to the civil authority and say, okay, I know you want to arrest me, here I am, it says, he says that he fled down the side of a wall in a basket. So rather than submit to the civil authorities, they actually craftily fled. So this idea that we are to give unlimited obedience to the civil government is not found in Scripture. Rather, it's something that men have created, and it's something that does need to be addressed um, in the Christian community. Well, you know, I mean, this whole subject we saw played out in front of the world at the Nuremberg trials after World War II, when Nazi after Nazi stood up and said, I was only following orders. That was their excuse as if some government could supplant God and say, yes, it's okay to act immorally. You can torture, murder, experiment on human beings, and it's okay. Like that is some, somehow absolve them of this horrible sin of what they did. And they could say, I was only following orders and blame it on the government. But we know that that is not permissible. And, and it was not allowed. And that's why things like that misinterpretation of Romans 13, which we saw so, so visually playing out before us after World War II, now, that's how we understand for us in our modern history that that's just unacceptable behavior. Yeah. So let's talk about the role of the people. In terms of the the doctrine of the lesser magistrates, what is the proper role of the people? Yeah, well, the role of the people is huge. I mean, it's massive to the doctrine. Usually magistrates won't do what's needed and necessary when tyranny comes down from the higher-ranking civil authority. They just want to go along for their good, for their career, for their well-being. So often the people have to prod the magistrates to do what's needed and necessary. And by doing that, you meet with them privately, you talk with them, you perhaps have to hold public demonstrations demanding that they take action. Um, so the role of the people is A, to prod the magistrates to do what's needed and necessary, and B, to 
to rally around them when they do what's needed and necessary to guarantee them our full support, you know, of our finances, of our very lives, of our prayers. Um, this is very, very important. And so to meet with magistrates, establish relationship with them, very important to do in regards to the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, simply because they often won't do what's needed until the people pressure them to do what's needed. You saw that with the story of Governor Petronius that we talked about earlier. You know, if he was just going to go along with what the gov- what the emperor wanted to the people relentlessly, continually pressured and said, this is not right, this cannot be countenanced, this cannot be happening amongst us, you must stop it. And they understood the importance that the magistrate played. Because, see, you have to understand, Dr. Dan, if... You know, if like 20 of us get ticked off at the government or 2,000 of us and we all meet on the corner with shotguns, I can guarantee you the federal government will put that down real easily. In fact, when you read the history of peasant wars, they almost never go good for the peasants. So the higher-ranking, tyrannical civil authority always counts on the lesser authorities to help get the tentacles of their tyranny into every fabric of society. But when they don't have the compliance of the lesser authorities, that's when they know they have a problem on their hands. And so it's so important for the people to rally their magistrates, their state officials, even federal officials who oppose federal tyranny, but especially the state, the county, the local officials, to rally them to do what's needed and necessary to stand in interposition against a lawless federal government who has long left its constitutional restraints. That's when they know they have a trouble on their hands, when the lesser magistrates aren't complying anymore. You know, that's really such an incredible point, and, and it speaks to what happened in Texas in the, the mid-1990s, 1996, and it resulted in a Supreme Court decision that supports absolutely everything that you're talking about. When the Brady Bill was passed... The federal government came down to the Texas Sheriff's Association meeting and said, okay, the Brady Bill is passed. We're requiring you, Texas sheriffs, to do background checks for us. The Texas Sheriff's Association said, no way. And that that denial went all the way to the Supreme Court in Prince versus the U.S. And the Supreme Court decided unequivocally that the federal government cannot compel state and local governments to do their bidding in terms of enforcing federal law. And that's important because the feds cannot, they don't have the manpower, uh, the will, or the ability to enforce federal law without the help of local officials. And so that's really an important place that the lesser magistrates can stand tall for the people and interpose themselves between federal tyranny and its edicts upon the people. Yes, that's a great example. And this is how true federalism is supposed to work, that whenever any one branch of government decides to play the tyrant, it is then incumbent upon all other branches, whether federal, state, local, or county, to resist that branch that society to play the tyrant. Even if the tyrant's the Supreme Court, they are to be resisted. 
by all other branches of government at all levels. And that's something that's been lost to the American people. I'll tell you an interesting story regarding firearms recently. Um, three months ago, I spoke in Idaho on the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrate. A state representative was there at the, at the meeting with the crowd that was there. And less than two months later, the federal government was coming to seize the weapons of a military veteran, 70 years old. They said he was financially incompetent to own firearms. And this is something that they've actually done in various places around the country. Well, word got out that they were coming to seize this man's guns. Eighty-five people showed up, including two state representatives, one being the one who had just learned about the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrate less than two months earlier, and the county sheriff also showed up to withstand the feds coming into this man's home. The federal government later simply sent some lackey up there to say, well, we're not going to come after his guns today, and um, left. And since then, they've been able to work things out where they're, they're not taking this man's guns away now. But this shows you the importance of the lesser magistrates interposing. You know, we've recently seen another uh, instance in which the will of the people and the law of God together have been denied by five persons. And that's the recent Supreme Court decision on gay marriage. Uh, We've had that problem here in North Carolina. Again, we voted overwhelmingly here, something like 67 or 68 percent, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And yet five people, for no reason, took it upon themselves to deny not only the will of the people, but God's law to impose something upon us that is, we know is contrary, immoral, and wrong. Yes, homosexual marriage. Um, and th- this is the fiction that they've relied upon, this idea that the Supreme Court is the final arbiter of what's right and wrong, of what's law or not law. Even the fiction that somehow the Supreme Court can make law. The truth of the matter is the Supreme Court cannot make law. It says in Article One, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution that all legislative powers reside within Congress. All. That means the Supreme Court has zero lawmaking powers. And what they often appeal to is the Supremacy Clause, Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the U.S. Constitution to say, oh, well, the Supreme Court has supremacy. They get to determine what's law and what isn't law. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that when you look at the Supremacy Clause, the first shocking thing is the Supreme Court's not even mentioned in it. And the second thing is federal courts aren't even mentioned in it. What actually has supremacy is the Constitution itself and all laws made in accordance therewith. So this is the fiction that they've created. It was created by the Supreme Court itself. This idea of the supremacy cause belonging to the Supreme Court being the final arbiter. And it's an attack upon true federalism. It's an attack upon what our founders established. They fully expected all other branches of government to resist any branch of government that made uh, actions, policies, laws, or opinions that were repugnant to the Constitution itself. Every magistrate in this nation takes an oath, not an oath of subservience to the federal government. They take an oath to uphold the U.S. Constitution. 
So therefore, when any branch decides to play the tyrant, as is the case here with this mere opinion by the Supreme Court, it's more incumbent than ever upon every other branch of government to resist that tyrant and to rein in their tyranny. So this is an important aspect of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate for people to understand so that they're not hoodwinked. And what the lesser magistrates often do, Dr. Dan, I've watched it for years now, is they hide behind this fiction. They tell people, well, you know, I'm against pre-born babies being slaughtered or I'm against homosexual marriage, but a federal court has ruled. All I can do is obey. And that is a lie. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Right this morning. <laughs>